The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. For the third time, we're interviewing the gentle and powerful poet and author, Joyce Rupp. She's well known for her work as a writer, a spiritual midwife, and a retreat and conference speaker, having led retreats throughout North America and in Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. She's a member of the Servites, the Servants of Mary, a community and... and that is, she's also the author of several books, including The Cup of Our Life, Fragments of the Ancient Name, and her latest, My Soul Feels Lean, Poems of Loss and Restoration, about which we'll be interviewing her today. Poetry is such a powerful expression of the deepest urges of our beingness, and so it is that her poetry will lead us to a powerful discussion about how to work with loss, or maybe we should say how to allow loss to work with us. Welcome, Joyce, to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're most welcome. I just love that last statement you made, how to allow loss to work with us. That's that's about it. <laughs> yes, that's true. We can't really command these things, can we? That is for sure. Yeah. Yep. But to to receive them when they come with with respect. I think that's that's the learning there. So yeah, respect, that's a good word. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that so many people say we want to embrace it, and sometimes we really don't want to embrace it, and we I just know, can respect and it. And it's kind of impossible sometimes to like, I mean, it's almost masochistic to say I'm going to welcome in some loss, but I think to respect its presence, we can do that, or at least to, to say, okay, so you're here, and I, I'll, let's, Let's try to be together without, you know, too much hostility. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. Okay, yeah. so let's start with you, know, you telling us why you chose to write on this particular topic. Oh, uh, well, you know, my whole journey with, with the books I've written, I think the book that put me on the map was Praying Our Goodbyes, which was way back in the mid-'80s. And um, in that book, you know, I really talked about goodbyes covering all kinds of goodbyes, not just death. And, and that was that was pretty new, you know, in, in uh, a new view to look at that. And it just seems like no matter what I'm speaking about or writing about, I come back to kind of that theme of uh, experiencing loss and, and goodbyes in our life in a lot of different ways, you know, besides physical death. And and, and then what that, that call to us, I think it calls us to personal transformation. So... But, you know, I didn't intend this book exactly to be about that when I started out. You know, I, I love poetry, and my I started writing poetry probably when I was in my 20s. And, um, in fact, my first publications were poems, not, not essays or prose. And But I just kind of, for the most part, kind of left my poems alone and, 
just kept writing them, you know. And and as as you and I both know, um, it's much harder to get poetry published than it is prose. Mm-hmm. And publishers, you know, are a little more hesitant to publish poetry. So I kind of sneak a few poems in my books here and there, you know, and <laughs> try to try to try to get them published that way. Um, but then about five years ago, I thought, you know, I have all these poems. It's, it's time to do something with them. So I, I just started editing and editing and editing, and I did that for about three years. And then when I started sorting them out, it was, it was quite amazing to me because they kind of fell in these two categories. And the one category was that of loss, like, you know, all the different kinds of calls to grow that have been mine over the years. And then the other part was... I'm a very hopeful person, and I've I've really seen how um, the losses that I've experienced, and, and I've seen other people as well in, in their experience, how they really do bring us to greater growth and deepening and strengthening and, you know, coming more and more to view who we are in a much clearer light and accepting that, that view, you know, um, while continuing, you know, to want to continue to grow. Uh, so, so that was kind of how how the book came about. Um, so, and then I, I I just wasn't sure, you know, I didn't know how to kind of go about, you know, putting the poems together. But like I said, they kind of went in those two categories. And then one of the poems I had written some time ago was about my soul really feeling lean, um, and that ended up being the title of the book because I think all the losses that I've experienced. When I look at them, you know, more closely, it's like they kind of strip away the things that I, I have gathered to myself, to my ego, to my, the mask I wear, to my persona, to all of that, you know. And I, and I think that happens once, you know, we, we're very clear when we're born, and then we get to be two, three, four years old, and we start collecting all this stuff, <laughs> and then we get to a certain age, and I think it just. You know, we start removing it. I, I think that's the process of life. So, so that's a long response to how this this all came about. Um, I think one other thing I'd say about it uh, about this is I was real hesitant in the beginning to even offer the poems for publication because they're so personal, a lot of them, and um, pretty vulnerable. You know, putting them out there and how how I've grown through loss. But I got an email yesterday, and I tell you, it was just such an affirmation of what I hoped the book would would do. And a woman who's a um, pretty new widow, I think just since last December, wrote to me, and she said that she had some friends over for Easter. And she said out of the group of friends, three of them were new widows. And she said she read some of the poems from the book to them, and they all agreed, and they said, you know, that they thought I really got it, you know, and mm-hmm. that um, I couldn't have written the poems unless I'd experienced, you know, loss and, and, and restoration. So that made me feel really good because I knew then they're resonating with what I've written, and that's the power of vulnerability, I think. If if I can be vulnerable enough, then other other then my readers, I think, will it'll relate to their experience, so... So that's that's how it all came about. <laughs> and I think it's lovely that it's poetry too, because poetry has that capacity to be vulnerable in a way that mm-hmm. story, um, unless you can capture the, the visual, it just doesn't 
do it in the same way that poetry can. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I that's think what that's I love good. about poetry because I think if if you really can work with a poem, you can get it to be so succinct and it can say what a whole essay would say, you know, in about 15, 20 lines. Right. And it's just all right there. I love that about poetry. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, okay, when we talk about loss, we, you said at the very beginning of the show that it, that loss can create transformation, and certainly we know of people that have not transformed due to mm-hmm. loss and have gotten deeper Definitely. into the mire of their own stuff when they mm-hmm. go through a loss. So what yeah. is it about loss that facilitates our growth, and how do we turn to that facilitation? Uh, well, you know, when I think of... Um Loss. My definition of loss would be something like um, it's when we when we no longer have someone or something that we value, or when we no longer have something that's given us security. You know, like uh, the things of the ego give us a lot of security sometimes, or you know, an ability to do something can give a, you know can give me a lot of security, and then when that's taken away or it's gone. Um, I think that's kind of how loss comes about. Um, and so, you know, as I said, I think there's just so many different kinds of loss. And I've, you know, been a student of Buddhism for quite some time, and it's just been such a help to me because I really see that what Buddhist, Buddhism teaches about impermanence, that's really about loss. You know, that the things I think that I want to cling to and, that I, I just want to keep everything as it is, that life keeps changing and people change and situations change and, um, and that's loss. That's, that's all a part of loss. Um, and so, you know, when I think of some part of myself, something that I've believed, you know, and, and then I, I realize I can't believe that any longer. I mean, it's, it's not, that's, it doesn't fit for me anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a real challenge there to accept that. And, that when, and if I can accept it, or if I can't accept a life situation, for, for instance, a relationship that ends, if I can accept that, then I think I have energy to put into whatever new is going to be there. And the images that I often use when are metaphors when I'm talking with people about this. I think of the seed, you know, that that seed can't stay a seed. You know, it's got to have that husk cracked open before that new green shoot can come out. So loss is like the husk of us, in a sense, cracking open, you know. Um, or the chrysalis, you know, it has you have to wait in that chrysalis, but it has to break open for the butterfly to come forth so that's how I see loss it's um it's loss is challenging it's most often not a pleasant process it's often very painful but significant loss is anyway and in a way you know we're losing something every day I mean every day we're aging <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know I don't realize it until sometimes you look in the mirror and go where did that next wrinkle come from <laughs> 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 but um, so I, yeah, I don't know if that's answering your question, question or not, Andrea. But um, those are some of my thoughts about about loss. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that what I hear when you say the word husk, I think of identity. I think what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only do we have the 
the just the pain of missing someone let's talk about it as if it's death right now that mm-hmm. if we miss someone that that's painful in and of itself but our identity mm-hmm. changes as a result of that you know if i really do begin to accept that okay this person's gone mm-hmm. now i i have to do things differently maybe or i have to think differently and i have to even begin to see myself differently so definitely and and you know i'm i'm just thinking right now of all those children that parents lost in Newtown, you know, and it's like their identity as a parent has changed, you know, and and someone that loses a a partner or a a spouse, it's like, who am I without this person in my life? Mm -hmm. I'm not the same. I can't be the same. And and I will do that. I have to do things differently. You know, there's there's almost like not a choice in a way. Although some people try, I'm I'm thinking I know um, of a couple people who have been so bitter about um, you know when when their husbands have died and they just can't move on from that. You know, they can't accept that they want to keep wanting it to be as it, as it has been. You know. Or, people that keep all the clothes and everything in the house exactly the way they were, you know. Um, they just, you know, it's that whole thing of not accepting the loss that's there that, that's going to, like you say, is going to change ident- our identity because it does in, in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk just a little bit. We have, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes, but let's talk a little bit about the process of grief, it's grief itself. Um, Cooper mm. Ross talked about those five stages. Do you, yeah. do you agree that there are five stages? And if so, where do we most often get stuck? Boy, you know, I, I think Kubler Ross, I mean, that was such a gift that she gave everyone when she actually identified those stages. You know, there really are more stages than that. And, um, you know, I was, you know, in thinking about those, you know, hers were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But, you know, there's other ones. There's a whole thing of self-pity, for instance, or there's, um, you know, maybe an envy of what others have. I mean, there's other kinds of stages, I think, that, that we could look at. And the other thing is that they never, almost, that nice, neat little pattern. <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes depression might be the very first thing, and then it might move into denial. Um, or it's a lot of times anger. Anger is the first thing. You know, why did this happen to me or to us? And, and then, you know, trying to deny it might be the next thing and trying to say, you know, it's, it didn't happen or it's not going to be, or it's going to be different or whatever that might be. So, um so I do I do agree that those stages are there, but um, it, a lot depends on persons and circumstances and how big the loss is. Um, and then another thing too is, that, well, you can't predict how long um, the process is going to be in those stages either. Uh, but you know what? The ones I think people most get stuck in. One of them is anger. Uh, gosh, people just can stay angry for so long. I know someone who's. You know, husband left her for another woman, and she was just so angry for years. You know, it took her a long time to come to peace with that. And that was really the predominant, you know, piece of those five stages that that, it, that she really did get stuck in for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think depression, um, a person can just get mired in, in depression for, for quite some time. Uh, 
without, and it's not a person's choice. You know, they just get stuck in it, uh, perhaps because they don't have enough of a support system or they don't know how to take care of themselves or they, they're resisting it so much that, uh, you know, they're putting their energy into resistance rather than moving with the depression. So, yeah. Yeah, and I find that people who have early losses very often get stuck in bargaining, like a loss of a parent or, or through, through maybe divorce or maybe abusive parents or things like that that we sort of bargain, well, if I'm gonna, if I'm good, then mommy won't hit me or, uh, you know, and we kind of yeah. stay in that place mm-hmm. for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If I do this, then that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying well, to you, keep it from happening. Yeah. Y- yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, it's kind of like I, I have this visual of us kind of, you know, f- sticking our hands and our feet out and somebody's dragging us and our heels are making marks in the sand as we try to keep this thing f- that has already happened from happening. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of a poster I saw a couple of years ago and it had this cat with big claws. And it's just, you know, it's hanging on to this wall and you get these scratch marks all the way <laughs> coming down and it says, everything I let, ever let go of had, had claw marks all over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of saying it. That's, <laughs> I yeah, know, that's, I can just visualize that right now because I identified with it so much. <laughs> yeah, that's the grief process itself, isn't it? It's just really finally, yeah, yeah. when you get there, it's finally, mm-hmm. yeah, you just let go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that well, final you, stage is a good one, that acceptance stage. But getting to it is is the challenge. So yes, it definitely is. And it and I, I find that you know, as I see people process through it, that they get to acceptance and then leave it again. So I'm not. I think you're right. I think there are probably more stages, but also these stages don't happen in any order. They happen in a rather chaotic order. You know that I, that's really true, Andrea and. Um, just not real long ago, I had someone talking to me, and she, her husband had been a practicing alcoholic for a long time, and she had real bad memories of that space in their life. And, and he, has, he has since died, and she says every once in a while she just has all these memories that come to her, these harsh, horrible ones, and she thinks, well, I'm, I've moved far beyond that. And he was in recovery for a long time, and now he's gone. And, and she gets really distressed by that. And I said, wait, it's kind of like these little shards of pottery, you know, and they're all buried, and they just come up everywhere. You think that you've gotten all of them up, and then another one comes again. And I think it's like that with those stages. You know, all of a sudden we're back into something. Like, How did I get here? Or we're trying to change, you know, something in our life, a quality about ourselves. And, gosh, I, I thought I knew how to how to be, and now here I am back being so self-centered again. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, it definitely does sort of drag us through the, uh, the stuff that's unresolved in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I always look at that, I think, well... You know, it doesn't really disturb me. It used to, but now I think, oh, this is just a, a mindfulness thing again of being aware. Yes, this is what is and or what happened, and then you know, naming it and being able to move on from it rather than being frightened by it or, you know, being drugged down again by it or what you know something like that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, all right. This has been good. We're going to take a break now, and we'll be back with more from Joyce Rupp um, about her book, My Soul Feels Lean, Poems of Loss and Restoration. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porosik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology Theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. And right now, they're offering an opportunity to win a free course for those who email before uh, March 31st. So those of you who are listening to the archives may have missed that time. But I'll tell you more about all of that. AHT's programs include degrees in the following. Holistic Theology, offering us terminal degrees, both a Ph.D. and a Ph.D., Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. This is not just another spiritual diploma mill. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. 
So if you're interested in enrolling, there's a small down payment of $250, and then you pay only $150 a month, interest-free, toward manifesting your dream. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. So call today, 800-650-4325, to learn how you can make your dreams for a degree that will make your career dreams come true. And we're talking today to Joyce Rupp the author of several books, including her latest, My Soul Feels Lean, Poems of Loss and Restoration. It's a poetry book that talks about loss and how and how we can make it through the loss to a period of restoration. Um, and we've said several things so far about what loss is and what it has the potential of doing for us. And I wanted to talk with you in particular about um, uh, uh, one of the poems that's called Love So Easily Gets Lost. And I wanted to ask you, can we lose touch with love during a grief process? Oh, I think definitely. Um, and, and there's a lot of different reasons for why we might do that. Um, part of it is our, our our culture. You know, we live such a fast-paced life, and and people don't like to have pain in their life. We're we, we're a be happy. You got to be happy culture, and and so. When people get caught up in that, when they've experienced loss, and right away if they let themselves be overly, you know, busy or distracted or that kind of thing, I I think that they, um, you know, they can get so mesmerized with that 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 they they don't recognize the ways that they are loved. For instance, if someone has has somebody they really care about that dies, and they just pour themselves into their work. they 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 may feel an extreme loneliness. Um, they may not recognize some of the kindness of people that are reaching out to them. You know, and and another thing is that people naturally feel very often very alone or lonely, or that people do not understand when they're going through a significant loss. Um, so I think that can, that can add to it. Um, and I, I, I think also depression, you know, and that which we've just talked about earlier as a natural part oftentimes of a significant loss that we can feel quite depressed for a while. Um, when we're depressed, we often do not have a, have a sense of love in our lives. I think we can. It can feel like we've lost love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we can feel pretty overwhelmed by the whole thing. Another part of it is, can, uh, you know, a natural response to loss, significant loss, is confusion and uh, not being focused. And I think that's another thing that people get, can have their their whole focus in life can be off kilter, so to speak, and you know can have high expectations maybe of someone of a friend and then feel like they're not coming through for them. I remember, In fact, I, just now I'm just thinking, I, I remember when I had someone in my life die that I just dearly loved. And, you know, for a couple of months I thought, boy, none of my friends are here for me. And, you know, so-and-so's not calling me. And I was just, I had all, and then when I got further distance from that, I thought that wasn't true at all. You know, they mm-hmm. were there for me, but in a way different than what I expected them to be, but they were definitely there for me. So I was real clouded in my vision during that time. 
so I think, yeah, I think we can lose love for a while. Mm-hmm. And we can yeah. lose love through anger. You know, if, if it's a, an issue of loss that has, you know, that we're naturally, first of all, very angry, we can, we can, we can really lose love in that anger. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely, definitely there. And I remember when I wrote that poem, that was a very powerful poem for me because I was thinking about that out of my life, how uh, I wanted to be much more careful about the loves in my life, <laughs> you know, so I didn't, I didn't get, um, I didn't lose that awareness in, in the distractedness of, of my own existence, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love the lines that say, you said. Love waits without whining, stands tall and strong in the prison of forgetfulness, waits to be mm-hmm. released. And I think that's uh, isn't that what happens when we finally do get to acceptance? Is we sort of get the love back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so. And because once we start accepting, then I think we get clearer, and you know, again about who we are and how life is, and and what our hopes are. Know all of that, and uh, and and acceptance of that. I think I ended that poem talking about a fragile, uncertain world, and I think that that's part of the acceptance of um, love returning. Saying, well, you know, I, I I do live in this fragility, in this impermanence, in this uncertainty, uh, and it is actually what love is what's going to give me strength to to move through this. To you know. To live a life of meaning and value in the midst of that, yeah, yeah. You're you also go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just going to say, Andrea, that you know, energy is a big thing for me, and and I I think sometimes that whole thing when we get stuck or when we get distracted or whatever it is, it's you know, it's where we where we choose to put our focus. And another word might be where we choose to uh, focus our energy. And, you know, if all my energy is going into trying to cope or if it's going into trying to distract myself from the pain and so forth, then my energy isn't going to go toward love and toward kindness and compassion and toward awareness of, you know, the relationships that I have. So energy and and loss of energy or a misdirected focus of or a misdirected energy is something I've become more and more aware of as I've grown older and I, I always think wow you know where where am I allowing my energy to go yeah yeah absolutely that's a that's certainly a way to help manage a day time, a day yeah 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 well, your poems also uh, seem to indicate that hysteria and what you call in the poems exaggerate or one of the poems at least exaggerated emotions can keep us stuck what do you mean by that well it's kind of going along with that energy that I, I just mentioned. For instance, mm-hmm. um, when it's it's a natural response, as Kubler Ross pointed out, when we lose someone or something of value, that anger could just naturally arise for us. Or self pity. I think self pity. A lot of people think self pity is such a terrible thing, but that is a very natural response oftentimes to loss it's a first response it could be like why me or oh this is this is just so hard on me um but if we get stuck in it i mean if we just continue to feed that all the time feed that anger feed that self-pity feed our depression whatever it might be um you know we just kind of eventually we're kind of wallowing in that or we're just like 
you know, it just is over, it just overpowers us in a way so that, um, we actually can kind of become immobile and not have energy to function well, um, or else get so bitter or so hostile. You know, I, I've just, I've known people that they're just constantly critical of everything. They, that anger just feeds, feeds them, feeds them, and, uh, kind of nothing, nothing is satisfying for them, and, um, so, it's that. I mean, the emotions themselves um, that come from loss, they're just a very natural kind of thing. And so, um, you know, we were talking earlier, and I can't maybe befriend them, you know, welcome them in and say, well, I embrace you. But we certainly, you know, can respect them and acknowledge that they're there, um, but not let them take over our life. Uh, you know, the poem I wrote on grief, about grief coming in and banging on the windows and slashing the screen door and trying to take over our life, um, that was a very powerful poem for me when I wrote that. And I wrote it out of my own grief because it felt that way to me. It felt like grief was just taking over everything and cleaning out my cupboards. And you know. And then I, I thought, you know, and I ended that poem with, you know, what else can I do? I kept trying to get rid of grief. And finally, it just said, you know, you know, does she, does she want my friendship? Wow, you know. Um, <laughs> in other words, I, I need to need to be with this grief and, and see what grief maybe has to teach me. Um, which is, it's a big, that's a big turning when you get to that point, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah, we. Yeah, that whole idea of just going, okay, here you are. I guess I'm going to have to mm-hmm. deal with you, or you're going to deal yeah. with me, and we're going to go through this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I think that's one of the mistakes today that people make is they they want instantly to have a teaching from their experience, and I, I do believe it's true. I think you know um, uh, that there is there can be life lessons for us certainly in the losses that we have but to expect that those are going to happen that we're going to see them or know them very soon that's where i think the mistake comes in Uh, you know just trusting that wow you know maybe a year or two it might be 10 years before i know what this really how this could be of value to me it might be longer than that you know my brother died he drowned when he was 23 and i was 25 and I was in my early 40s before I really got it, you know, kind of like what was that for me that had some value in it in terms of how I live my life. Yeah. Uh, so it took a long time, you know, before that happened. Yeah, and I think that what you said there about exaggerated emotions is, uh, you know, that whole process of moving toward acceptance like you just talked about, The one of the things that we can do with that exaggerated emotions is get ourselves involved in some other drama. I actually know someone who mm-hmm. whose husband died and she kept saying, I don't want to I don't want to grieve. I don't want to you know, I don't want to let go. Mm-hmm. She literally said that and mm-hmm. and it and, and what she did instead was take in somebody who was a drug addict into her home and got all involved in that drama and oh. so she didn't have to grieve. So Yeah, yeah. You know that's a that's a really good example of that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Going from one exaggeration to the other in terms of the emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just uh, don't have to deal with the other one. Give me a new one, you know. Yeah. At least yeah. I think I can do something about this one, you know, yeah. even if, yeah. of course, mm-hmm. you can't really do something about that one either. Yeah. But yeah. Maybe that whole thing of, you know, which we haven't talked about with that, uh, you know, and that's that issue of control uh, because, you know, we do, 
when something or someone's taken from us, when we don't choose to let go of it, wow, you know, there's not any control in that, um, in that, in that experience. But we can certainly choose how we respond to it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, we do. We it is a loss of control, and so that grasping, uh, just the example you get grasping at something else. Maybe I can control this. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Absolutely. Um, you also talk, you know, the whole title of the soul feeling lean, it reminds me of mm-hmm. what some people have said about the dark night of the soul. Can we really get into an inability to make contact with the divine in our grief processes? Um, I, I, I certainly have had times when I've felt this lack of a connection with the divine when I've going, gone through, you know, some difficult losses. Uh, you know, wanting to make that connection but not having any sense of it, you know, which is really the dark night of the soul, is a person can even want, you know, certainly want to have, fall back onto faith or fall back onto, you know, a sense of being supported and so forth by by a divine presence, a loving presence. Uh, But yes, definitely um, a dark night can be triggered by it, by a significant loss. Um, and you know it's interesting because I've known some people that have gone through really painful experiences and they have felt so close to God as they experience a divine being and that's never left them and other people um, you know they'll say to me you know I I, I can't go to my, my church now it's just too hard for me I don't have any sense of you know God's nearness and and some of it goes back to anger, you know, and people, how people, whether or not they think God is responsible for what happened, um, that can cause a real, you know, loss of, of a connection, too, if they're blaming God for what happened in their life. So there's a lot of different reasons, I think, for why a person might, you know, have that. And sometimes it's a very temporary kind of thing when they, you know, they they lose that sense of the presence of the divine. And sometimes that, that goes on for, for quite some time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah and, and I've seen people, when they get to that sort of um, restoration phase, develop a whole new kind of faith out of that yes. dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mentioned my brother's um, death, you know, when I was in my mid-20s, and that was part of my experience um, when I was in my 20s, I always thought I had this thing about, I, I felt like God was for me, but I felt like I was going to be tested. There'd be this big test, you know. And um, I somehow or other, I, you know, when my brother drowned, I just thought, wow, is this the big test for me? Is this, you know, am I going to keep believing in a God or whatever? And and I also asked that, that huge big question of theodicy, you know, why does something bad happen to a good person? And so, you know, I just struggled and struggled with that, and I was. I was in my early 40s, and I made a 30-day retreat, and that was a turning point for me. And I, and since then, I've had a totally, I have a very different relationship with, with the divine. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that whole thing of, you know, that God, whatever happens to me, I, I just know that it's, it's, it's out of life that that happens. God is not there causing it to happen in any way. And that line of scripture, God is always for me and never against me. And I just, 
that was such a turning point for me. And now it's, it seems hard to go back to think to when I didn't think that way. But that's I think that would be an example of of just what you're 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 suggesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and definitely a restoration. Mm-hmm. And a big one. Yeah, big absolutely. And you know, along with that, though, the thing that I I do companion people for spiritual guidance, and I always want to be really careful to allow people to have their experience of of how they view the divine and right. not try to talk them out of it or push them into the way I think about the divine because yep. I really think we all have our own process, our own growth time with that, you know? Yeah, and let me stop you right there because we're going to have to take a break. That's okay. a good point. We're going to okay. come back to that. And we'll be back sure. in just a minute right after this break. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. If you are looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light. Where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? If you're searching for the answers to these and other spiritual questions, you can look within. And you can tune into The Open Door. Our program will expand your awareness of the teachings of the Ascended Masters, offer you practical tools that promote self-mastery and personal freedom, and provide an unerring pathway for graduating from Earth Schoolroom. The Open Door with hosts Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy is broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
And we're back talking today to Joyce Rupp, author of My Soul Feels Lean, a book of poetry about loss and restoration. And we've been sort of describing the grief process and what it's like to to process through grief. And I wanted to talk particularly about one of the one of your poems, which I thought was very poignant, called After the Funeral, because it talks so much about that that feeling of what it's like after all the people have gone and the food's gone and the hugs and the support are gone and there you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is that is a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's around for the first, maybe if you're lucky, the first week. <laughs> yeah. And then and people go on with their lives and they forget, you know, that um, that you know that person's there still with their grief and it's very fresh yet. Um, you know, one one of the things I think that is can be really helpful for someone when they're in that position is that whole balance between solitude and, and social. And I've heard so many, I mean, and I mean, many widows will say to me, all my friends are trying to push me to get out there and get going again and get into my social life and I just, I just really want solitude right now. I just need to be quiet for a while, you know. And yet at the same time, they want a connection with people. It's very interesting, you know. And so it's how to balance that, how to, um, you know, like be kind to yourself and stand in your sorrow, but also to, it, it takes deliberate effort many times, I think, to reach out. Because people aren't going to always be there to reach back, you know. They, they just, like I said, Say that they just forget that you're there, and what I have found personally is having someone that I trust, a confidant, that I can sit down and say, "So here's where I am. Do I do I need to give myself a little shove and get going more? Am I withdrawing too much? Am I feeding you know a little depression going on here? Um, you know how do I do that? And uh, again, I had someone this week that. You know, her husband died not long ago, and she said, you know, and, and she herself is, is a therapist, and said, you know, people, people want her to say something profound regarding her grieving process, and she doesn't have anything to say about it. You know, she just, she doesn't, she doesn't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. um, but she does want some kind of social contact, you know, but it's just, she's not ready to start, you know, sharing more of her deeper self, I mean, probably because she doesn't really know what's happening in her deeper self right now. So I think that whole thing of um, taking care of oneself and body, mind, and spirit is so important after the funeral. And and being attentive to one's own needs because, you know, other people may well not be there to attend to those or we may at least think they're not there for us. So I don't know, does that... Does that uh, kind of answer yeah, that? Or absolutely, answer? yeah. I think mm-hmm. you said it. You made a really excellent recommendation. I think what I'm hearing you say is that we have to, and, and after the funeral can be after the breakup, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or after the, you know. Um, the job loss job, or after yeah, right. the yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. When everybody comes to talk to you about it for a little while and then they go away and move on with their mm-hmm. own lives and there you are mm-hmm. with it. and. And uh, we we could use that time to get bitter, but one of the things that you said there is that if we decide what we want in our lives and what we don't want in our lives, then mm-hmm. we're sort of orchestrating the events mm-hmm. of our lives. Yep. And that yeah. there's a real healing that takes place when we come from something deeper and go, no, this is what I want. I don't want that. I mm-hmm. want this. Mm-hmm. It's that listening to the deeper self. 
You know, yeah. and that takes it. T- you have to have some quiet time, and and there's that tendency in in a lot of people to want to start running and get busy because I don't, as we said earlier, we don't want to deal with this. You don't want to be with that pain. But you know, if we have just you know whether a person's going to sit down and do a little writing or just go for a walk every day or whatever it might be, but you know, this is my time. I'm going to kind of check out. I'm going to check and see how I'm doing. What do yeah. I need today? Might need something different tomorrow. Yeah. What do I need right this minute? That yeah, might, yeah, know, right. That's different. true. Yeah, yeah. day to day. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know that is toward moving toward the restoration process that mm-hmm. you know sort of almost is a reconstruction of our lives. I want to read yeah. a poem to to the listening audience that you wrote in here that I just absolutely fell in love with. It's called Shabby mm-hmm. and Awkward, and I think it says so much about what it means to kind of move into the restoration process. So here it is, shabby and awkward. Shabby and awkward, spiritually disheveled, I run in pursuit of taming my untruths. Finally, I fall into the ragged gutter of those endless struggles, unable to keep pushing toward unmet goals. Only then does the dross disappear. Only then does the lame get up and walk. Mm. Yeah. Gives you me read that bumps. well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I love it. I love it. And it gave yeah. me goosebumps when I read it again. I think uh-huh. that one of the words in there that were actually phrased in there, there's so powerfully um, true is the spiritually disheveled. We just mm-hmm. feel so uh, uncertain about everything. It's like the rug has been ripped it out from underneath us underneath our feet and we don't know where to stand and ground ourselves. Right. In, in yeah. That. It's and, a tough place to be when you don't have the grounding that you usually have. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the running in pursuit of taming your untruths, that's I mean, what you're saying, it seems to me there, you tell me if this is wrong, that it's it's about that um I've got to figure this out. I've got to understand this and I'm gonna keep pushing till I get there and then you don't ever get there, and you just finally go, okay, I, I don't understand, but here we are. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that that's exactly it. It's like I want to try and control all of this if I push hard enough. Now that I know, I can make it happen. And and it, it, and it doesn't it isn't that way and i gave a conference a couple of weeks ago and and, uh, and someone came up to me and and he talked about he he suddenly had become so aware in the last year of how egocentric he was and he just was filled with self-loathing mm-hmm. and i felt so badly and we you know we had a talk and i just said you know uh, self-loathing doesn't do any good at all you know but Put your energy into awareness. Now that you know that you're egocentric, become aware and just name it when you are. And then, you know, you gradually you're going to work out of that. You're going to become more and more aware of it. But like that, you know, he just wanted to run after it and get it and get it over with so he didn't feel so terrible about himself. And, uh, and he really was, it was that spiritually disheveled because he had had a strong spiritual foundation. It was like, wow, he just kind of didn't know what to do with all of that because he was seeing himself in a different light. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard truth. You know, we, we all come to truth about ourselves. But I think that um, awareness is just vital rather than, you know, now that I know it, I'm, I, I, I can take care of this. And we kind of forget about that whole grace element in there, you know, that mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. do this all by myself. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. There is a surrender that comes with mm-hmm. that kind of acceptance. Yeah, I, surrender. Thank you. That's a that's a great word, and it's so essential. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Where there is some kind of transcendent um, understanding of the divine, in order for us, it seems to get back through that dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. We have to just say, okay, I'm going to let you talk to me. I'm going to shut up and listen now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so, I love that because it's like, okay, you've opened the door for me, and now I'm, I'm, my, my eyes are open, my heart's open, my mind's open. Okay, you know, lead me. I'm willing. I'm willing to go. Go through that yeah. door. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, we talked in the very beginning about how um, it is that our lives change as a result of these kind of things, and that we have, we absolutely, I and mean, you've mentioned it several times, we have the option of not changing mm-hmm. as a result of these things. And, yeah. you know, we can drink, we can use sex, we can, um, mm-hmm. you know, deny, we can rage, we can do all kinds of things mm-hmm. instead of moving through this process. Yeah. But when we do move through this process, we we become um, uh, so uh, much more in tune with what actually is um, and what actually is on a spiritual level as well. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Yes, that's what I think the whole restoration process is, you know, that um, if we if we stay with the process, if we're patient with ourselves, if we don't, you know, push it or try to, you know, shove it away... Um, we will come to some whole new strength and deepening and clarity and um, I, I think, you know, we're going to like ourselves more. All of that uh, can be there. We're going to have these, I think, a, um, an enhanced enhanced relationships because of it. But it is how we choose, you know, as much as possible choosing how we go through it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we and only have just a f- Go ahead. No, go ahead. And that just the reality of accepting that loss is a part of life. Mm-hmm. And and people do not want to accept that very well. No, we don't. Loss, we don't, particularly in the West. Loss is part of life, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. We just have a few more minutes before the show ends, but I want to I want to talk about this whole idea of um, the spiritual existence that doesn't allow for grief. I, I've you know I've heard so many mm-hmm. people in several different faiths, not just the Christian faith, mm-hmm. but several different faiths. That's that you know it's there's no room for grief. We have to just accept this and move on because mm-hmm. uh, you know we're supposed to live in joy and we're supposed to be praising God yeah. and we're supposed to be this and mm-hmm. that and the other and there's a lot of supposed to be's there. And not mm-hmm. much real process, and I just wanted to see how you felt about that. You know, to me, it's denying our humanity to jump from something really tough that happens into thinking now, I'm, if I have faith or whatever my relationship with the divine is, I should instantly accept and be joyful. Um, you know, I've learned that the body holds emotions, and uh, our body is going to respond if if we. If we try to trick our mind into saying we don't hurt or we have to be instantly happy again, um, it, eventually it's going to catch up with us. Yeah. And uh, it's to me, it's not faith at all. To to own our humanity to me is much more of a a faith oriented uh, way of living because we are created, you know, in this in this body, this humanity that's ours and. The emotions are natural that come when, when we're hurting, when something difficult happens, and 
So that's kind of how I see it. <laughs> yeah, I agree so much, and thank you for saying that because I think that there's so much um, that we try. We're like you said in this poem. I keep I'm unable to keep pushing toward unmet goals, and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, in when we're trying to sort of train our minds to to stop being sad or stop feeling, you know, stop yeah. feeling sorry for yourself, and you know, mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. not feeling sorry for ourselves, we miss out on some of the self compassion that is absolutely there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, thank good. you so much, Joyce, for being oh, on our welcome, show today. Andrea. I have loved talking to you as I have the other times we've talked as well. Oh, and thanks. We want to have you come back again sometime, and uh, oh, thank you for writing this book. This book will, will make an impact on people I know. You are welcome, and thank you for reading that poem so beautifully. I loved it. So. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And Take next week care. we're going to be talking about the river of omniscience. So be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.